Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. So we're starting a new series uh, today, which I'm really excited about, by the way. It's not Labor Day weekend. Um, Somebody, maybe you caught that. I didn't. Thank you, Ryan, for uh, getting me uh, straight on that. It's not Labor Day weekend. It's uh, the weekend before Labor Day weekend. It's like pre-Labor Day weekend. I don't know. So sorry about that. But anyways, we're starting a new series today that we're going to continue. I don't know. It'll be several weeks. I haven't exactly figured out how long it'll be, but I'm really excited about it because we have these phrases that we read about in the New Testament and that we share, that we speak, that as believers, we've heard our whole life. Even if you're not a believer, you've probably heard this phrase of, for we walk by faith, not by sight. But what does that really even mean to walk by faith? What does that look like? And we want to walk by faith because it is only faith that actually pleases God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, Hebrews eleven six. But what does that look like? What does it mean for us to walk by faith? And so what is amazing to me is that there are plethora, plethora, of examples throughout the Old Testament of what walking by faith actually looks like. And we're going to take a look at several of these and see how, how what was going on in that time of the Old Testament and these people and some of them are going to be inanimate, inanimate objects. We're going to talk about the faith of the bush, the burning bush in a couple of weeks. That's... How, How does a bush have faith? It's a picture of faith. It's a picture of something. We'll get to it in a couple of weeks. But so they might be people. They might be inanimate objects like a bush. But we're going to see picture after picture after picture of how living and walking by faith in this new covenant actually looks. Living in dependency upon Jesus. And so today we're going to start um, in the beginning. The beginning of the beginnings. And that beginning, of course, is Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, we read, of course, of the creation of the world in these six uh, days of creation. By the way, that's the verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. So how does that look? I forgot to hit my button. Sorry about that. So we see picture after picture in the Old Testament. I don't usually title messages. Uh, we usually have this thing at the end, the journey marker, which is kind of like, let's summarize this whole thing into one, you know, little chunk that we can kind of chew on the rest of the week. I don't really entitle sermons, but if I were to title the sermon and, 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 and the title is going to be nothing what you think, so beware. But if I were to title this message, it would be the true evolution conspiracy. The true evolution conspiracy. We're all familiar with the idea of evolution, right? That we didn't just, you know, come into existence. There was this long process of billions of gazillions of years. We're from microbial soup, you know, we, we came to what we are, which always, you know, sounds so, you know, scientific and whatnot, but it always remains the question of where did that microbial soup come from, you know? And in fact, one of the leading, uh, theories, I guess, of how life started on this planet by secularist uh, scientists or, you know, whatever, is that it was put here by aliens from another universe, another solar system, another planet, which is great, but it's like, where did those people come from? So to create life out of nothing takes something kind of special, if you ask me. So we're not 
going to really get into a debate about creation and evolution as we think of creation and evolution. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the true evolution conspiracy, which doesn't have to do with microbial soup becoming, you know, monkeys, which becomes men. That's all a distraction from the true evolution conspiracy, which most Christians, myself for the first 30 some years of my life, had bought into the true evolution conspiracy. Now, I've done teaching on creation uh, itself, the six days of creation, and I'm not, that's not the purpose of this message here today. But really quickly, we have to remember that Jesus says that all of what Moses wrote was actually about who? Him, right? All about Jesus. He says that in the book of John several times, that all of what Moses wrote was actually about him. So when we read the Old Testament, remember, I've said this a bunch, I'll say it again. If when we read the Old Testament, if we don't first ask the question when reading the Old Testament, what is this revealing about Jesus? Then we are going to come to the improper, or at least incomplete conclusions and interpretations. Because Jesus is saying it's all about him. Moses, who wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, wrote about him. If you remember after the resurrection, Jesus and a couple of disciples were walking to uh, Emmaus. And on the road to Emmaus, uh, he began to open their eyes to see from the scriptures, starting with Moses and all the prophets, how it all was actually about the Messiah, Jesus. And then when they broke the bread, they realized that this who they were talking with was, in fact, Jesus, who had been raised from the dead at the breaking of bread, a revelation of the finished work of Christ. And so... When we look at even these six days of creation, when we look at it to see, okay, well, how does this compare to science? Compare to, then we're coming away with the wrong conclusions. We have to ask, how does this reveal Jesus? And so very quickly, we've done a teaching on this, so that's not, that's not, this is not what today is about, but I want us to make sure we see Jesus in creation. Does anybody, you get a star for the day. What did God create on the first day of creation? Let there be light. There was darkness, there was light, day one. Remember, darkness always preceded light in the Jewish calendar, but what's it called? The Jewish day, darkness was first, is first. The day begins at sundown, darkness, then light. I believe that that day one is a direct revelation. Remember the question, how is this revealing Jesus? What was Moses writing about Jesus? I believe that this is a direct revelation of Jesus, a picture of Jesus who when the time was right, as Paul talks about in Galatians, God sent forth his son, the light of the world, and he burst forth into the darkness of this world because of sin. The light of the world, the light of heaven itself entered into this dark world. And we see a picture of that on day one of creation when light was created. On day two, there was a separation. There was water that the scripture said was already there. There was water, and on day two, God said, let there be a separation between the waters below and the waters above, the picture of, of clouds, of an atmosphere, and let there be a separation in the middle, let there be sky. What is this revealing about Jesus and his work and his gospel? I submit to you, again, we've already done this teaching, we're not going into details on this, just real quickly, this is on the podcast if you want to listen to it, go back and find it, but I submit to you that that's a picture of the separation of man below and God above because of sin. There was a separation where man and God could no longer be joined, be united, be in fellowship because of a separation. Let there be a separation between the water below and the, and the waters above, a shadow of the separation of, of, of man from God himself. Day three, anybody know? Another star, if you know day three, let something appear from below the waters. Let dry land appear from below the waters. From below the waters, a picture of humanity who is separated from, from God above. From that humanity, let dry land appear. Something you can stand on, something that brings hope, like uh, uh, an anchor, a, a foundation, something you can stand on and rest on instead of treading water. What is that a picture of? 
Jesus says it's all about him. I submit to you that from humanity there came one who was suspended between heaven above, the clouds above, and the water below, just as ground itself is suspended between heaven above and the waters below. A picture of Jesus himself who became a man from the line of the first Adam come from humanity, the God-man, to one day hang on a cross suspended on that dry land between heaven and earth to make reconciliation between God and man. Day three. Day four, God said, let there be a son to govern the, 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 by the day and a moon by night. And oh yeah, he flung the stars into space. I love that. He flung the stars into space. What is this a picture of? What is this showing? What is this revealing about Jesus? Day four of creation. Well, I think the sun is pretty simple. I mean, that, that's a picture of God himself, the Father, where all the planets, all, the, all of the um, uh, asteroids, you know, all of the stuff revolves around the sun. Jesus, God himself, the Father, being the center of it all, and the planets, everything revolving in submission and servitude around the sun itself. The moon, I think, is a picture of mankind itself. Think about it. Does the moon have any light in itself? Of course not. But it's a, it provides light by being a reflection of the light. At night, last night, in wicked full moon, if you saw it last night. Did the moon turn up its amperage last night? No. Last night, this moon, from our orientation, was in direct view of the sun Though we couldn't see the sun. The moon was witnessing that there was a sun. The moon is actually referred to in the scripture as a witness. It is witnessing the sun. Man itself, there's no light from us, but we are witnesses. You shall be my witness. Witnesses of another world. Witnesses of one that we can see, but the world can't see at night in darkness. But has anybody ever noticed, I know we've talked about this before, that there's a moment that happens every few years where the huge sun and the moon so much smaller that they actually align and they appear from our perspective to be the exact same what? Size in an eclipse. Now, of course, the moon isn't the same size as the sun, is it? Of course not. I mean, the sun is enormously larger. What is that a picture of? I believe, I could be dead wrong, I could be, you know, totally spacing out here, but that's a symbol, that's a picture. Remember, creation is revealing the glory of God. All this is about Jesus and his work. I believe that's a picture, a sign that, the, uh, the, that God himself, the Son, would become a man, moon. And what, what happened when Jesus was on the cross? It was complete whatness, darkness, an eclipse, where the God-man died for the sins of the world. On day five, there were fish that were put into the water below, a picture of humanity, how we got here. We were born by, as Jesus says to Nicodemus, we must be born of water as we come out of our mama. Born of water, picture the fish below. But on day five, it's unique. He said he also created the birds that soared in the heavens above. Remember the heavens above, picture of where God is, the, 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 the clouds, the separation, God above, man below. Why would he put, create fish below and birds above on the same day? Seems so weird. What is this revealing about Christ? I think, it's the, I think it is a direct picture of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus when he says, you must be born of water. Yes, you must be born of mama, but you must also be born of the spirit. We must be born again. And when we're born of the Spirit, we're no longer born of below. This place no longer is our mother. For Jerusalem above, Paul says, is our mother. Citizens of another world, strangers now to this country, but now citizens of a heavenly country in Christ above. I think of Isaiah where he says, the day will come when we shall mount up with wings as eagles and we will soar and we shall not, and run and we shall not be faint. Soar like wings on wings of eagles. Effortless as we live by the life of Christ above. On day six of creation, if you remember, that's when God created the animals and he created Adam and he created Eve. If you remember what happened there on day six of creation, 
All the animals followed before Adam, and he said, none of these fit. None of these are good. None of these are compatible. They're awesome. They're cool. But none of them fit as a helper, as a mate with me. And so do you remember what God did? He put, God, uh, put Adam into a deep what? Sleep. And while he was asleep, resting, he pulled out from Adam a piece of his side, and he molded it into a woman named Eve. And you remember what Adam did when he woke up? Man, he was delighted. Remember what he said? He said, this is a little paraphrase, okay? Uh, this is it. For she fits. She is bone of my bone. She is flesh of my flesh. All those animals, that, that didn't fit. That didn't work because they were incompatible with me. But she is of me. And so she fits with me. What is this a picture of? I believe I could be wrong, but I believe this is a picture of the last Adam, who is Jesus himself, as Paul talks about in the letter to the Corinthians, the last Adam who surveyed all of humanity as Adam surveyed all of the animals and said, none of them fit. None of them fit, for they are not of me. They're not compatible with me. I am righteous, holy, clean, and they are dead in their sins and the iniquities of their heart. They're not of me. And so just as God put the first Adam into a sleep, God put the last Adam into a deep sleep called what? On a cross. Death on a cross. And in those three days, as a result of his resurrection, bringing the last Adam up from the dead, as God brought the first Adam up from a, a nap, but in the greater, in the reality, in the substance, he brought Jesus up from the dead. And now as a result of that work, God created from his very own spirit, the very spirit of Christ himself, he created what? A bride, the church, you. Who believe. And as Adam with great delight looked at Eve and said, Yes, finally, I have searched far and wide. I've named every single animal, and none of them fit. With great delight, he saw his wife and he entered into her, and the two became one flesh. With infinitely greater, that was the shadow, with infinitely greater delight. Jesus Christ himself sees you, his bride, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, compatible with him in every way, for you are born of him, as Eve was born, if you will, air quotes, of Adam. And he takes delight in you, and he has entered into you, and you and he have become one by faith in him. On the seventh day, God rested. Not because he was tired. He wasn't like, whew, that was a workout. He spoke. But the word rest just simply means he stopped. He ceased. It's the word we get the word Sabbath from. And on the seventh day, in fact, in Hebrew, the word seventh is Sabbath, Sabbat, which means stopped. God stopped from working. Why did he stop from working? Great question. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Why did he stop from working? Why did he stop creating? Because the creation was what? Complete. It was, it was finished. There's nothing left to complete. Look at this. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed. Days 1 through 6. And all their hosts, everything that lived in it, it was completed. It was finished in six days. And the seventh he rested. By the seventh day, God... Here it is again. I mean, he just said it. Why is he saying it again? Scrolls are expensive. Why is he writing the same thing over and over? By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. I think the writer here is trying to get us to see something. It, the work of creation of the world was finished. It was complete. So God rested. He stopped. He, if you could say it this way, sat down because it was done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, set it apart, made it holy. Because in it, he rested from all his work, which God had created, past tense, and made. So, Certainly, there is no room in the 
creation account for this concept of evolution. But that's not what this message is about. The true evolution conspiracy isn't about six days of creation. What is it? I'm glad you asked. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says, for since the creation of the world. So this is Paul in the New Testament after the work of Christ. Paul is explaining that no Gentile is able to uh, say, hey, we didn't have the law, so we must not be, you know, you know uh, uh, answerable to a holy God. Paul is saying, no, creation itself is, has revealed the attributes, the invisible attributes of God. And that's what I just, in my Understanding, which I could be way off, and if you want to offer a different interpretation of what the creation speaks of Christ, feel free to do so when we share thoughts in a minute. But what Paul is saying is that the creation itself of this world is revealing the invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature. Through creation, these things have been clearly seen. How can his invisible attributes be seen in creation? How can his eternal power, his divine nature, be seen in creation? Well, we have to look at creation and sit and ask that question. How is this revealing? What is this revealing about Jesus and about God? And it's being understood through what has been made. So everything that has been made and the way in which God made things and how he made things reveals the true nature of his heart and who he truly is. Bursting forth the, the, the true light, the light of the world into the darkness of humanity. Though there was a separation, he brought forth from that which is below a man, a God man, born of a virgin, born under the law, so that he might redeem those dry land coming from, this, from, from, from water itself. And the sun, man, God himself becoming a man, a picture of the moon, the same size. It reveals his heart to show himself for who he truly is. As he, as he introduced himself to Moses, I think it was, he says, I am the Lord thy God, full of mercy. Mercy. Seeing the separation, seeing the despair. And having a plan from the beginning, before there was even a separation, before there was even humanity, having a plan to restore man to himself as a new creation. All of creation reveals that which is uncreated. Psalm 19 is awesome. I've only written one song in my life. It was in college, because that's what you do when you're in college. And it was based off of Psalm 19. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Um, I didn't bring the pictures in. I should have probably. But earlier this week, or I guess last week, today, Sunday, um, I just was blown away. The moon was here. You could see the little red, orangey Mars here. Then you could see it was very small Saturn here. Jupiter, a little bit larger, and then Venus, pretty big, was about to hit the horizon. And in that moment of seeing five planets, four in the sky, and I'm standing on Earth, all revolving around the sun, I just, it was humbling to me. And I pulled April outside and said, come look at this. This, the heavens themselves are declaring as we have, there are in orbit, all these planets are in these, this orbit around the sun, a picture of Jesus himself being the center of everything. Amazing to me, the heavens declaring the glory of God himself. But what we need to look at, oh, there's one more verse. Uh, Romans 4 says, even God who gives life to the dead and this God who calls into being that which does not exist. Not slowly over a period of time, but he speaks it and it exists and it didn't exist before. So what is this true evolution conspiracy I don't know what your views on evolution are, and it really doesn't matter. That's not the point. 
The point is that the way in which God created the world speaks to us as to how God creates. God didn't create the world in six days and then now in a new creation, in this new covenant, he chooses to create differently. However he created then is how he creates now in the new covenant as a new creation. We don't get a picture from the scriptures of a slow, ongoing process of God slowly molding and slowly shaping creation into a being. We see God speak, and it is. The true evolution conspiracy isn't about the creation of the world. The true, please listen, creation, uh, the true evolution conspiracy is about the creation of you, the new you, your new heart, your new life now in Christ. According to the scriptures, how did God create? He spoke it and it was. That's how he creates. So here's the true evolution conspiracy. How did God create your new heart, your new life in Christ? Well, we say, I'm saved. I believe in Jesus, but I'm slowly over a lifetime becoming more and more righteous. Isn't that what we say? Isn't that what we've believed? Well, I'm slowly over a lifetime becoming more and more holy, slowly becoming more and more righteous, more and more okay as I get my act together, as I curb some sinning issues, as I spend more time with them, as I go to church more often. I slowly am evolving in my new life in Christ. Is that how God creates? Certainly isn't how the scriptures say he created the world. He spoke it and it was. So how does God create your new heart, your new life? Is it over a lifetime of slowly, slowly removing sin so that you can slowly over a lifetime become more holy, righteous, clean? You see, church, this is the true evolution conspiracy. It's a conspiracy that says, and almost, again, myself for 30 years, bought it hook, line, and sinker. It's a conspiracy that says, God couldn't have created me righteous in an instant. God couldn't have made me new in a moment when I first believed. Look at me. Look at what I still do. Look at what I still think. Look at me me. That's the conspiracy. Look at me. It's a conspiracy that trains our eyes to look at the outer. In fact, our passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 that says, uh, what we, for we walk by faith, not by sight. That word sight is also translated a bunch of other places as appearance, outer. We don't walk by the appearance of the outer. But this conspiracy, this true evolution conspiracy in the church, it trains our eyes to look at the outer, the appearance of man, the behavior of man, the actions of man, rather than the inward work of Jesus and what he's done. Listen, this might be controversial, especially if you're a huge creationist like me, but please listen. I might be wrong again. You'll have a microphone in a second. But I believe Satan has no interest, no interest in convincing the world that mankind evolved from microbial soup over billions and billions of years. I don't think Satan has any interest in convincing the world of that. That all is because of his interest, his true interest, to erode the church's faith in the God who creates in an instant. A God who creates you now in Christ, instantly righteous, instantly holy, instantly blameless in the new heart. Your flesh, sin in the flesh? No. We've talked about this a million times. Sin in the flesh is always going to want to do what? 
sin. That's what it does by nature. But that's not you. You have been created new. So Satan has no interest. His end goal isn't to, to convince mankind of Darwinism, of, of macroevolution. That's not his desires. His desire is to lead the church to believe that, the, that God does not create in an instant. And that's exactly what he's done, not only in six days at the beginning, but he has done that with you now as a new man, a new person, a new woman in Christ. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, that's okay. You don't have to believe me. You just have to call the scriptures a lie. Because the scripture says, Ephesians 4, 24, says, put on this new self. In other words, realize what you truly are. And he describes what you truly are, which in the likeness of God, your new heart, your new self, this is what you are. You have been created in righteousness. You've been created in in holiness of the truth. Another translation, if you have the ESV, will say you have been created in true righteousness and true holiness. So this is your new life, your new heart, your new self. You are created after the very likeness of God. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, Adam specifically, but Adam's children were created in the image of who? Genesis chapter 5, in the image of Adam. That's exactly right. Physically alive, but spiritually what? dead. And so a new creation had to happen upon the removal of sin, which happened on the cross of Calvary, so that now upon faith, a new creation happens. And in this new creation, we are created in righteousness. So if you go, let's just try to bring this down a little bit. If you go to the backyard and it's a big muddy pool, big, big muddy, you know, mud pit, and you go in there, and you roll around in the mud, what are you going to be? Muddy, right? If you're created in righteousness, what are you going to be? Righteousy. It's just who you are. I mean, there's nothing you can do. It's who you are. Not over a lifetime, not over a period of time, but a creation, an instant. God spoke it, who calls into being that which did not exist. Your new life didn't exist at one moment in time, but it does now. In true righteousness, in true holiness, the new man. And you say, well, that's just, that's just a, you know, one verse. Well, let's look at another verse here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, same book to the Ephesians. He says, for we are his workmanship. That's so beautiful, so beautiful. Let's see. Um, Derek. Derek is a, 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 would you call it amateur professional blacksmith? I don't know. Whatever. A blacksmith. It doesn't matter. He's a blacksmith. And he has made some really cool stuff. What is it? What do you look at to show how good of a blacksmith or blacksmith he is? What do you look at? His work. His workmanship. His handiwork. You see that? And so Paul is saying, through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit through Paul saying that we are actually that workmanship of God himself. As Derek takes raw iron and does stuff to it and it turns out really cool, God has taken something. He's taken his very own spirit. He's done something with it. And he breathed life and he created you. As he took some out of Adam and made Eve, he has taken some out of his own self, his own spirit, and has birthed you from his very own lawns. We are his workmanship. We are his handiwork. Created, past tense, not evolved, not slowly over a lifetime, but we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance that we just walk in them. We walk in what we were created from. We were created of his righteousness that we might walk in that righteousness. It's perfect. It's simple. But there is a true evolution conspiracy that is deceiving the church today that says, no, 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 no. You're not really right. I mean, your, your, your name, yeah, is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You're, 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 you're forensically righteous. Where does that come from? I don't know, but it's out there. Make up words. You're, you're, you're heavenly righteous, but obviously you, I mean, we know you, look at you, you're not righteous. For we walk by faith, not by sight. 
We've been created. Now here's the nail in the coffin to me. I think this is the last verse we're going to look at. Nail in the coffin to me. That we have in an instant, we have been made righteous. By this love, 1 John 4, by this, sorry, comma, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Let's just pause there for a second. How many of us honestly have kind of, can I say freaked out? Is it okay to say freaked out? How many of us have freaked out when it comes to the thought of judgment? How many of at some point in your life, I'm not talking about right now, but at some point in your life, the concept of eternal heavenly judgment, it was kind of like, yeah, I don't want to think about that. Yeah, right? All over the room. Here's what Paul, uh, John is saying, the Holy Spirit through John, is his love for us is training us so that we can understand the fact that when the day of judgment happens, we actually have confidence. How can we have confidence in the day of judgment? I'm shaking in my boots. I don't even have boots on and I'm shaking in them. How can we have confidence in the day of judgment? Because as he is, who's he? Jesus. As he is, so also are we. In this world, how can we be as him? How can we be as righteous as him, as holy as him, as clean as him, as pure as him? How can we be those things? Because we are born of him. We are created in an instant upon your faith that we pray for Brian, Stephanie's daddy, to receive. That if he would believe in that and a new man is raised, not over a lifetime, but in a moment. Now, is there a process? Everybody shake your head like this. Is there a process? Yes. But the process isn't in the creation of who you are. The process is the discovery of who you are. Remember when God created Adam and Eve, he said, be fruitful and multiply. When he told Noah, he said, go and fill the earth. In other words, after the flood, go and fill the earth. In other words, go and, and discover this thing. That you now have. Discover it. Fill the earth. See all of it. Because it's yours. In the same way, there's a process of us discovering what he's made us to be. Because we still have the thoughts of the old man. The old man's dead, but we still have the thoughts of the old man that are trying to tell us who, we, who it says we are. But we have the spirit of truth, the spirit of Jesus himself in us, to guide us in truth, to reveal to us what is the Son's, which now by union with Him is ours as well. Let's wrap this up. How many days are in a week? Seven. That's right. How many days are in a week? Seven. Jesus was raised from the dead on the what day? Third day after dying. That is correct. Let me ask that better. What day of the week was Jesus raised from the dead? My bad. We'll edit that out of the podcast. What day of the week? I heard it. The first day of the week he was raised from the dead. I wish I had a whiteboard. It would make a little bit more sense, but use your brain. You get through day one through seven. And what do you start back over on? You start back over on a new day, a new creation. Jesus being created, Jesus being raised from the dead on the first day of a whole new week, a whole new period of time, a whole new, a whole picture of a new creation, a new dawn of a new day. You could even say it this way. He was raised on the eighth day because it was starting over on the eighth day. In Judaism, what day were the little Jewish boys circumcised? The eighth day. What's that a big deal about? We'll see this in a few weeks. We're going to do one of these is on circumcision, the living by faith, walking by faith. We're going to talk about circumcision. But very quickly, circumcision is a beautiful picture of the new covenant, a very beautiful picture of the new heart, the new man. Paul 
brings it down in Colossians chapter 2. talks about we've been circumcised. The, old, the, the flesh has been cut away from who we truly are in the heart. And a new heart, a new life has been given to us. But it was on the eighth day. In other words, the first day of a whole new week. The first day of a whole new period. A picture of this new creation. How many colors are in a rainbow? How many colors? Roy G. Biff. How many colors? Seven. Creation. All, every color. Colors themselves are declaring God's handiwork. Seven. So every time you see, get to the end of Roy G. Biv, violet, what do you start back on a red? Just as you get to the seventh day, you start back over on the new. And Jesus raised on the new. So even colors, every time we see colors, it is God declaring to us there's something new. Seven has completed, and now we're starting over on a new. The seventh day, he rested, it ended, and we're starting over anew in the resurrection of the Son of God. On a piano, how many notes are there in a scale? Now, maybe not every scale, but at least a major, normal, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti scale. How many? Seven. Because that will then bring us back to do. Seven. And we repeat and we come back. So even the music that we hear Hart even playing right now is declaring the heart of the Father. That there'll be a new day that comes and a new creation that exists. The question for us is, are we going to live by that? So whatever we see, whether they be colors, whatever we hear, whether it be music, it's declaring the very heart of God, a new creation, a hidden work, and it's finished altogether. Our journey marker, which is just let's have something to chew on a little bit here. As we start in this conversation of walking by faith, of what it really looks like to depend upon Jesus in daily life. The very first step, and I hope you can see this like illustrative, what it, walking by faith takes a very, you have to take a first step. The first step, the very first movement of walking by faith, what I'm trying to get us to see is to believe who I really am. Because if we don't see who we really are, having been created new as he is, that our new heart is as righteous as he is, for it is of him. Our new man, who we truly are at the core, clean and holy. If we don't buy into that, if we don't believe that, if we don't see that, if we don't hear that, if the spirit isn't revealing that to us, then there really isn't a journey of walking by faith. We're going to continue living by sight and what we can see. So the very first step in this journey of walking by faith is that we must believe who we really are. If we're not convinced of that, there won't be a walking by faith. There will be a continual struggle of thinking our righteousness comes by our work that our okayness with the God of the universe comes by our actions. And we'll never walk by faith. That's why the law, the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments, that's why it's not for the believer. Because the law is not of faith. Because the law says do this, and you look at it, and you just try your best to do it. That's by sight. Paul is saying the believer is not, the law is not for the believer, but for the unrighteous, he tells Timothy. But you are righteous. We don't live by a law. We live by Christ himself. So I encourage us, as we get started in this series of walking by faith, to really understand the true evolution conspiracy. There's smoke and mirrors to get us focused on the creation of the world and the universe, the Big Bang, evolution, Darwin, that's smoke and mirrors because what I believe the enemy is trying to do is he's trying to get us as even believers to call into question how God creates. And then looking at our lives, say, well, I'm 
slowly becoming righteous. I'm slowly becoming holy. I'm slowly becoming clean. No, it's not how he creates. Let us not buy into the conspiracy. Let me be duped by that conspiracy. Let us see the truth so that we can take this first step of faith, first step of walking by faith, by believing who we really are. We'll never live out that life if we don't see that life has been created in us. With that being said, I want to uh, leave some time for anyone who might have a question, a thought, a but what about. Uh, we have several minutes remaining before we need to start breaking down. Um, any questions or comments or uh, thoughts from the crowd? Yeah. I told Derek on the way over here I was going to keep my mouth shut, but <laughs> we were we were hearing a song on the way over here. Um, I'm no longer a slave of fear. Mm-hmm. I am a child of God. Yeah. And that whole concept to me of slavery of and of people being liberated. I think back of all the the images maybe we've seen of. Maybe the U.S. and other countries liberating countries in Europe. I mean, they were truly, you know, being held. Mm-hmm. They were, they had their freedoms taken away from them. Yeah. And uh, I think if we try to think of our daily life in Christ, that we have been set free. We are not slaves anymore to sin. Right. It can't hold us. Yeah. And uh, you talk about like life reveals the glory of God. Mm-hmm. So we live on a farm and we have chickens and we, we keep them in this little enclosure for their protection. But when we're home, we open it up mm. and, uh, you know, they're, then they're free range. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they love to go out and get the bugs and whatever they want to get. And to me, there's so much in life yeah. that parallels the, oh, yeah. the truth of being set free yeah. from the power of sin yeah. and death. We Absolutely. walk in wherever God leads us by faith and, yeah. and enjoy the beauty of his creation and yeah. this life he's given us to Amen. with us. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, Bob. That's great. Awesome. Any other thoughts or comments, encouragements, concerns? Yeah, Jonas? I was just reflecting on the idea of the work of God and how instant it is. And uh, I was reminded of a, of a verse in Romans 9, 28, where it says, For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And I was just reflecting on how many religions talk about arriving or coming to sainthood and mm-hmm. all the studying and all the whatever they call it going mm-hmm. to school and learning mm-hmm. and the idea that in Christ is all the law and the prophets and whatever they pointed to right. which is this short work that he did I remember coming across this, this verse in, in Romans some time ago and, and just what does he mean about a short work and I think it's just what you were talking about all morning this Instantly, he made a short work of this imp- impossible journey that that we saw as being under the law, and how will we ever attain to the goodness that God really requires for us? Yeah. And he did a work, and it's just beautiful to honor the work that he did. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Great verse. Thanks, Jonas. Anything else for the good of the order and the order of the good? Hopefully, you're looking forward to where we're going to head. It's going to be it's going to be fun, I think, as we look at these sorts of things from the Old Testament weekly, of what that looks like now in the New Covenant, pictures and shadows of living by faith in the in the New Covenant. But if we don't see who we really are, we can't go. We can't. It's going to be frustratingly difficult to try to even try to walk by faith if we don't see who we really are. All right.
Well, let's stand up. We'll be closed with a word of prayer. And uh, if you want to help stick around for a few minutes and put chairs away and help clean up, that'd be fantastic. And uh, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week on Labor Day weekend, next week. And um, we'll be here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. I trust that as we journey through this, uh, this teaching series that your spirit would help us to really see what, what walking by faith really looks like as we learn total dependency upon Jesus. And Father, our righteousness is totally dependent upon Jesus. However righteous he is, that's how righteous we is, if you will. Because it's of him. We were created in him. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might be his righteousness. And so, Father, help us to see our, our righteousness is dependent upon not our actions, our behaviors, not sin in the flesh, but our righteousness is dependent upon Jesus Christ himself. So let us set our eyes upon him, not sin in the flesh, but upon Christ himself who lives in us. Father, help us to see the great delight that he has taken in us being born of him as it is faith trusting him that pleases him. And yes, behavior will follow. Yes, righteous living will come. Yes, but it comes as we walk by faith in who we truly are. Righteous, clean, holy. No separation between us and you. For we have become one with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. We thank you, Jesus. I pray that we have a great week. That we ponder on these things of whether or not we ourselves have bought into this conspiracy of evolution of the new man. So Father, help us see the truth that you have called into being that which did not exist, but it exists now in an instant upon our faith in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of The Teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.